the gospel according to Mark, seventh chapter, starting with the 14th verse. And when you have it, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Mark chapter 7, starting with verse 14, and we will read down to 21. Hear ye the word of the Lord. When he, he is Jesus, had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him are those other things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man is what defiles a man. From within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murderers. I'm going to go down to 23. Uh, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, for the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk about is what's on the inside that counts. It's what's on the inside that counts. I was uh, reading an article earlier uh, this week, and it was called The Depravity Standard. And it was talking about how some judges and attorneys, when someone has committed a crime, when it is time to decide the sentencing, they take into consideration what is the depravity standard. Did they know what they were doing? Uh, did they know what they were doing was wrong? Are they in front of us trying to say all the right things, knowing that what they did was heinous? And I think about that a lot these days, just watching the news. When, when someone can walk into a church and do something evil to nine people who are just there to worship the Lord. And then when someone else, in response to that, can pull out their camera phone and go film themselves shooting an on-air camera operator and the newscaster reporting the news and say that that was in response to what they did. And write a 23-page manifesto trying to explain what it is they did. And I'm not really caring about the 23-page manifesto. You can try to attach something you did to a good cause. But if what you did was evil, it's what's inside that matters. It, it doesn't matter what kind of marvelous words you use in your rhetoric, what kind of grammar you use, or what kind of speech you prepare. If what's on the inside is not for good, 
that what you did mm. is not for good. All right. And that sort of comes to mind when I look at the text. Uh, we have Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. And uh, we didn't read the part in the passage, but right around chapter 1, I mean, verse 1 of chapter 7, the Pharisees have come and they have approached Jesus, demanding to know why his disciples are eating and handling bread, but they didn't wash their hands. Yes, sir. Now, there was some concern because if you read in chapter 6, uh, they just got finished feeding the 5,000. Uh -huh. So they have been handling fish. And so they handle this fish and then they go to eat. And the, 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 the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem, it's in the text, they, Mark says they're from Jerusalem, are taking something that was good and trying to make it bad. All right. The Pharisees said that this new guy, Jesus, was on the scene, this young rabbi, and he was not doing it the way it had always been done. I also noticed that the Pharisees didn't go directly to the disciples. They went to Jesus, even though Jesus wasn't the one in the, in the text that was necessarily handling the food. They went to him about his disciples because they couldn't go to him about what he had done. And that is sometimes what the enemy will do. Come on. If, if, if you're, they can't say anything about you, uh -huh. they're going to say something about who you hang around. They're going to say something about who you associate with. You are no longer that person. You are a part of the group of which you hang around. So Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem had a problem with this tradition. And they were holding on to oral tradition as opposed to listening to the word of God. We have to question things that we do if the only reason we do it is because it's always been done that way before. Now I'm not saying we need to forget history. Or forgo tra tradition and disregard protocol, but we have to dig into the why we do something. We may find out that the history about it is not as untouchable as we think. For example, when you come to a church and the communion table is set and the communion is covered, I thought there was some super deep spiritual reason for covering the communion. <laughs> People go out of their way to design these fancy, elaborate communion linens. And if you're in a Methodist church, if somebody's grandmother sold that communion linen together, you better take care of it. I ain't talking about this. I'm just saying. It's got to be pristine. But here it is when I went to go search for why we cover communion, I found out that it came from the 1600s, I mean the 600s, not the 1600s, the 600s, and a pope by the name of Boniface III made a decree that the communion has to be covered. 
But the only reason that it had to be covered was to keep it from spilling. That's it. Keep it from spilling because the, 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 the wine or the, the grape juice represented the blood and they did not want that spilled all over the place. So they designed a cover to keep it from spinning, but yet and still we treat communion covers like they're holy. Why? Because it's always been done that way. We ought to be able to question the why we do something. Or else we hold on to these oral traditions. And so you had the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem holding on to an oral tradition about how and where you wash your hands and how you go about it because it was more than just hygiene for them. It was a ritual to wash your hands. There was a certain way the water had to be placed in a certain way that you placed the towel in a certain place that you did everything and how you had to lean a certain way when you washed your hands. They were holding on to tradition as opposed to responding to the word of God. We can't just hold on to tradition for the sake of tradition and don't just hold on to it because I said it. When you go home, check out Pope Boniface. Check out uh, communion linens. Check out some of the Christian and Catholic encyclopedias. It'll explain it. It's to keep it from spilling. So I had to, just like the Pharisees, I had to get rid of this tradition. Holding on to oral traditions was the reason Jesus was giving them a message. Let the church say reason. Reason. We can't just hold on to our traditions because after a while we no longer worship God. We begin to worship our traditions. So the reason for this message is the reason Jesus got into conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees from Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus rebuked them. Let the church say rebuke. There was a reason for the message and the message had a rebuke in it. Jesus reminds them of Isaiah's prediction in Isaiah 29 and 13 where it says that they will be flattered with their mouths but hate them in the hearts. They will honor the Messiah with what they say but with what they do they will insult him. Growing up, and I guess even today, I was kind of strange. I, I had a, 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 a something that I felt was kind of weird about me. I had a weird expectation of people. I expected that if somebody did not like something I said or did, or did not like me, I would expect them to tell me. I would expect them to say something about it. I had more respect for the people I grew up with that told me they didn't like me or told me they didn't like something I did and told me to my face than the ones that would smile in my face and I would find out later that they really did not like me. I don't mind that you don't like me. I really don't. I mind that you pretend yeah. to like me in my face. Yes, and then when I'm, my back is turned, you're looking for the best place to insert that knife. Spare me all the nice talk. 
all of the pleasantries. Save what is really on your mind. I will be okay. But understand that if you say what's really on your mind, I might have to say a little bit about what's on my mind too. But I'm okay with that. Some of my best friends, we became friends after we fought. Because after that, there was no more hiding behind the words and there was no more hiding behind these other things. We knew what was really on each other's mind and we knew what we stood with each other. And those people became my friends as opposed to the people who smiled in my face and had all the nice words to say. And that is what Jesus is talking about with the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. When they come to speak to him, see, much gets lost in the translation when you move stuff from Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic into English. You, you lose a lot of the, the, the wordplay that they were using. And when you break it down back into its original language, they talked to Jesus with high language. Some, some translations also say excellent language. They honored him in the speech, but they were there to try to insult something they thought he was doing wrong. Kind of like church folk do. Lavish blessings all over someone in front of them. But they know they can't stand them. Not this church. No. Other churches though. You know, just 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 churches in general, you know, other churches. Not not here. Speak well of them. Tell them they liked the sermon when they really didn't. Tell them they're doing a good job leading the ministry when they really aren't. Grace and peace and no disrespect and all of these things. Telling them they like the song selections from the choir when they really don't. They compliment to the highest order. Knowing that they really don't think that about these people. I, I hang around a pastor or two in, in various social groups and uh, one of the things I've watched when someone doesn't uh, uh, agree with something they said, they always start off with uh, uh, your grace, if they're talking to a bishop. Your grace, I don't mean any disrespect. And that's a funny word to me because it seems like every time Somebody is about to disrespect somebody. They start off with no disrespect. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm really about to hurt your feelings. And they, they ask all these things and they call them bishop and doctor and your grace and, and blessings to you and your ministry. Meanwhile, they tearing them down. But it's what's inside that counts. And so the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem were doing just that, but Jesus caught them and caught them with the word. That is the best response to anything. The word. It's long, it's lasting. It lasts longer than any of us. It was here before us and it will be here after us. So anytime, especially when you are doing the work of God, the response, no matter how excellent the language is, no matter how good their rhetoric is, you use the word in the response. The word will do the rebuking. So he provides these Pharisees and scribes 
from Jerusalem with a parental example around about 8 through 13. He says, uh, uh, Jesus says that the Pharisees twist God's laws to avoid the responsibility of financially supporting their parents. They're out here doing the work of God but neglecting their own households. We ought to take care of home first. We ought to sweep around our own front porch before we try to clean up somebody else's. We have enough going in and going on in our own houses while we're trying to fix somebody else's. Jesus pointed out that the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem that while they were trying to call Jesus' disciples out for not washing their hands, they were so busy and so deep into the church and so deep into the law that they neglected their own parents. Uh, uh, the text says something about uh, Corbin when he talks to him in verse 11. Corbin is a gift for God, a gift for the church, a pledge that you leave for the work of the kingdom. And he says that they are neglecting their parents, thinking they are providing a gift for kingdom work, but taking care of their own household, that is taking care of the kingdom. We have to set our priorities. If we don't set our priorities, we become, as the phrase says, so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Now, a Pharisee itself is not a bad thing. We've often used that as an insult in certain, in certain situations. But a Pharisee itself is not a bad thing. We've kind of turned it into bad using oral traditions. But a Pharisee itself, the word meant distinguished or separated. It was somebody with a relationship with the law. Pharisees were sometimes also called scribes, and so they had to copy down the law so that everybody else would have copies. Now, I mean, now we can just go to any bookstore and buy a Bible, but back then somebody had to hand write everything out, and that is what Pharisees and scribes did. They were responsible for transmitting and preserving the text. It's a job. It's a relationship. It's a calling. But we cannot allow our job, our relationship, our calling to interfere with our first ministry, which is our family. So it's what's on the inside that counts. Are, they, are we serving these churches for ourselves or for God? We have to check our motives. And so then we get to the preaching and after he's finished uh, giving the reason for the message and, and rebuking them in the message, he begins to preach to them around about 14 and he says uh, that defilement has nothing to do with one what one eats but rather what we say and do. Uh, what we eat does not cause defilement. People often get worried about food and they were worried about food then because they were putting it inside themselves and they thought that if you put something inside yourself unclean that that made yourself unclean but that is not necessarily how food works 
we put the food inside ourselves and everything that the body can't use is eliminated. Food does not stay inside of us so it can't do the type of harm that they thought it could. Now, that's not a license to go out and eat a bunch of bad stuff. You know, we got a professional trainer in the room, so I'm going to make sure that's clear. <laughs> we don't go around just eating whatever we want, but the thought that the food would damage their relationship with God. No, it's in and out. But what we say, what we do, what we think, that'll stick with us. Food didn't have the effect that people thought it did. But what we say to people, how we treat the people, what we think about, what we watch, what we read, that will stick with you longer than any fish dinner ever will. There are people today holding scars from something that someone did years ago. There are people who didn't pursue a particular career path because it's something that somebody said. Yes. It's what's inside that counts. I know. And what you do and what you say and how you treat people, that affects not only your insides, but the insides of those of the people that you talk to. Your actions will leave a stain that is hard to remove. There are those who may have messed up and are still carrying that stigma from what they messed up on for years. You can get rid of food, but you can't. It's, it's much harder to clean your reputation. Warren Buffett said it could take years, 20 years, to build a reputation and 20 minutes to destroy it. Your actions leave a stain that's hard to remove and your actions will stem from your words and your thoughts. So Jesus was saying we need to keep clean. But what we need to keep clean is not so much our hands or our stomachs. The part of the body that we need to keep clean is the heart. We have to be careful what we allow into our heart. Our inner man, what we allow inside of us will influence us spiritually. Who we hang around what we listen to, what we watch, what we read, all of that has an effect on us. And he mentions the heart. And something I said last week and I'll say again, back during these times, the heart and the head were not separated. To them, when they said somebody was hard-hearted, they meant they were hard-headed. And when they said to get something into your heart, it also meant to get into your head and vice versa. So the emotions and the logic were together. So what you let into your heart, what you let into your head, how you keep those things clean matters because it has an effect on us. The Bible says in Proverbs 4 and 23 to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. Then Matthew 20, 12, 33 through 35 says, a tree is known by its fruit. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, you brood of vipers. How can you, 
being evil, speak good things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And a good man, and out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. It's what's on the inside that counts. The words don't mean anything if you're a bad person. They don't mean anything if you don't mean anything behind it. I can tell my wife from sun up to sun down, I love her. And I do with all my heart. But if my actions don't show it, the words mean nothing. It's what's on the inside that counts. So we're supposed to be doers and not hearers. The Bible says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only. For if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, it's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in all he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion is this before God and the Father to visit the widows and the orphans in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted in the world. We have to be doers of the word, not just hearers. If we're doers, we'll show that what's on the inside counts, just like Jesus. Jesus said that the spirit of the Lord was upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and open up the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and in the day the vengeance of our God is to comfort those who mourn and to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, to give them oil of joy for mourning and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, and the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. Everything Jesus said he did, that's why he was calling out the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. He came to open up blinded eyes and he did it. He came to set the captives free and he did it. He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and he did it. He opened up blinded eyes. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He did everything he did without hope of free or reward. The gospel of the according to Mark says little but it says a lot at the same time it's the shortest gospel but it was written before all of the other ones and he kept saying in the gospel according to Mark the scribes and the Pharisees from Jerusalem why point out where the scribes and the Pharisees were from Mark is shorter because he's getting to a point when he has that conversation he's getting to a point and everything he's doing is pointing to the end so these scribes and Pharisees he pointed out because they were from Jerusalem because he was getting to the end in the beginning. He knew what Jesus had to do when he went to Jerusalem. When he came in, they were going to be cheering him. But then they were going to be crucifying him. He came, he knew when he had to go to Jerusalem that he was going to be cheered on, but then later beaten, bruised, and belittled. But he went anyway. He knew in Jerusalem he was going to have to die. And not any kind of spiritual death that that, uh, people can say because they don't like to talk about blood, but a real death. A real death. A natural death. 
he was going to die and he was going to die, but that wasn't going to be the end of it. Thank God that's not how the story ends. Thank God that three days later, he got up with all power in his hand so that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever will believe in him will avoid death, hell, and the grave. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.